Welcome to the Nourish Rap Podcast, hosted by two passionate clinical nutritionists whose mission is to educate, inspire, and empower people to lead a more nourishing life. Katie and Jessica value evidence-based practice, holistic healing approaches, and practical health advice, all while having fun along the way. We thank you for tuning in and hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Nourish Wrap, guys. We're really excited to continue our series from paddock to plate. I've actually got Jess on Skype today um, and she's going to introduce our guest for today's podcast, which we're super excited about. Yes, so today on the podcast, we're really excited to have Charlie Arnett. Charlie is a biodynamic farmer um, in New South Wales, uh, farming beef, pigs, fruit, veggies and eggs. So we'd like to welcome him onto the show. Um, Charlie, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me, girls. Um, uh, an honour and a pleasure to be here. So I guess we want to get started um, straight into this podcast because we're really excited to um, pick your brain. But essentially, what, what is your story? What got you involved with what you're doing? How long have you been doing it? And what are your passions? Well, I grew up on this farm, Hanabino, Borua. Um, I won't tell you how many years ago, but uh, I've spent um, uh, most of my life here. I went away to school, and we were very conventional farmers, mixed farming, which is a fairly common um, type of farm here at Borua. So we had sheep, cattle, we grew crops, we produced wool, um, we had multi enterprises, and it was a very busy, conventionally run farm. Um, with, with all, of, I guess, the problems that I now appreciate a lot more um, that those farmers um, experience. And when, about 15 years ago, I did a course called Grazing for Profit, and that was life-changing. Called um, what? Sorry, what was it called? Grazing for Profit. There's a, okay. there's a, a business in uh, called uh, Resource Consulting Service at Yapoon, and I'd heard about the course, and those guys put a one-day course on here in Borua in about 2004, and it was called Profiting from the Drought. So I thought, oh, that's a laugh. You know, that's, that's impossible. I'll, I'll go and see what this is all about. And I did the day, and I was blown away. And then a week later, sorry, a month later, they had a week-long course, which was the Great for Profit, and it's a holistic farm management course, essentially. Uh, and the, the difference there between what we were doing and what that course was promoting is a holistic view of farming. So that's in, that's including um, not isolating the different parts of the farm, but the synergies and the um, the connection between those parts. And the parts essentially are um, production, uh, ecology, finance, and the people. And they have this fantastic... Um, sort of a, a diagram, an analogy about that, that there's, a, there's a three-legged pot and one leg of the pot is your finance, one is your ecology, so your your water, your your sunshine, your grass and soil, etc. And the other pot um, is your production system that you've chosen to put into that ecology and, 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 and run it with those finances. And sitting in the pot are the people, right? the people of the business and the people in the business is not necessarily something that a lot of conventional farmers and farms consider enough. Um, so the story is, if one of those legs of that pot is wobbly, um, it's an unstable business, and you know the first thing that happens is the people fall out of the pot. Now it's a really simple way of of explaining 
you know, the, I guess the, the sensitivities of people in that sort of farming environment, the, 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 the toughness, you know, the, the, the challenges that, are, that we all experience. But this really simple way of putting it really struck a chord. I did that course for that week. Um, before I'd even finished the course, I was on the phone to my, my station hands here at Burua, um saying, look, you know, we've got to change, you know, put those mobs together, change those fences and, and so on. So and it was it was a lot of psychology involved, which is, again, something that I think farmers um, just don't think about, you know. We're supposed to be tough country Okay. And wool and um, dirt. Cool. Sorry, Charlie, you just cut out in that last sentence there, but but that's okay. The rest of it was really clear. Um, can, so, can you maybe just outline, like give us some examples of the specifics of what you started to change? Yeah, in terms of the farming practices. Well, and essentially what we were doing, we were grazing sheep and cattle and we were grazing those cattle and sheep in a way that wasn't conducive to improving the ecology of the land. So okay. we, we had stock on, on pasture for long periods of time grazing that pasture. We had lots of little mobs. You know, we had all our sheep were in separate age groups and that was convenient because you could go and check them and know, what, you know where they were and what they were doing. However, when you've got lots of mobs spread over your whole property and they're on grass, excuse me, pasture for a long period of time, pasture needs rest. Pasture needs to express itself fully by going through, you know, essentially it has three stages of growth. It's sort of the, the first stage is when it's just um, getting out of the ground or if it's a perennial species, it's just those first few leaves. Then there's the vegetative stage in the middle where it's mainly... Um, it's high quality and high, and high quantity. It's all green uh, and then reproductive when it sets seed. So this is the natural cycle of a plant. And when we're set stocking um, animals, we're not allowing those plants to, to do that cycling. And when they're allowed to do this cycling, they contribute to the water cycle, the mineral cycle, organic cycling, and, 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 and you know, the whole, all those cycles that are really uh, essential um, in the ecology. And... So when, what, one of the changes, getting to the change, is that we put a lot of our mobs together in one group. So that meant that the pasture wasn't being, as we say, flogged, you know, over and over again. It was allowed to go through its natural cycle of growth. Now, this has some you know, major benefits. Um, it pumps um, organic matter into the ground. It grows roots. It grows more feed. Um, and as that ends up, you know, you actually have more feed to feed your stock. And, and one of the other changes we've made is we, we had stock on grass for a very short period of time. So we're, saying, we're, we're basically now, uh, as we were you know, when we started 14 years ago, we, ha- we rest pasture for three or four months at a time. Now, that's unheard of in a conventional system. People say you're wasting your grass. Well, we're actually, we're actually having a relationship with our grass now. We're not just flogging it. Um, and then when the stock go in, they go in for a very short period of time, maybe a day or two or three at the most. So um, we're still getting really good growth rates. The cattle are happy. Because we're handling them a lot, they're really quiet cattle. Um, and then so the plant is contributing to the cycling of nutrients. Um, when it rains, the rain falls on grass that is actually um, able to slow down that rain. So we actually have our dams are generally 
um, not as full as they used to be, but that water that's falling is falling in the ground and staying there. So we're harvesting water. So what we do as, as a farmer, and to try and make it simple, is that you know we harvest sunshine to turn into grass to turn into meat. Okay. Okay. And we harvest water. That's the other ingredient. So everything it... else is variable, and, and we manage that as well. So it sounds like, um, you know, you really care a lot, not just for, um, you know, basically what's going on with the animals and fattening them up and whatnot to, to, to basically send to the meat house, but you also care about the environment as a whole. So exactly. You s- the environment is our partner. Yeah. We're part- we are now, as a business, partnering with nature. We didn't partner with nature. We used to... We used to fight nature. Okay, so you mentioned something interesting before. You said that when the cattle go onto the, the, the pasture, they're only there for sort of three or four days at a time. Where are they when they're not on the pasture? When I say three or four days at a time, that's, in, that's per paddock. So oh, okay, right. Their, yeah, sorry, that wasn't, wasn't clear. So they spend their life on pasture. Great. We... One of the other changes, getting back to your question, is that we cut our paddocks up into much smaller sizes. So that means that um, we have more, so we boxed our mobs together, and then when we run them through our paddocks, those paddocks are much smaller now. So where they used to be in a paddock for six to eight weeks, yep. then paddock for three days. And when you... there's more... Sorry. When... No, that's all right. It, it's all about intensive grazing because you need a lot of animals in that smaller area to eat that grass quickly and that gives you that time so by the time those animals come go through all the paddocks and we've got some hundreds of paddocks by the time they get back to that paddock yeah it's three or four months yeah and again that's the grass time to um Mm -hmm. to do its thing and actually express itself fully and contribute to the ecology and that's and that's because you've boxed the mob, which essentially means that you've brought different animals together at different age groups to just be in nature as opposed to having them as, okay, here's your young cows, your young sheep, all separate and just working the land the whole time. Is that correct? That's right. Okay. Exactly right. So we're, because we're handling the cattle more, we have a better relationship with them. Because the cattle... Uh, and not in the paddocks as long as they used to be. We have, we essentially have a better relationship with our grass because we're 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 letting the grass do its thing. Before we were we weren't treating our grass at all well. And grass, you know, I, I always say grass is shy. You know, if you keep on eating it, it's not going to want to grow. It's like I'm sick of getting eaten. But if you let it do its thing over those few months and let it do its complete cycle, um, you will you will be rewarded. Um, so, you know, the essential thing here, again, is, is the attitude of partnering with nature. When in a conventional system, we used to use um, a lot of chemical. We haven't used chemical here for 14 years. And chemical, you know, herbicide, pesticide is, um, you know, side is death, right? That's, that's, the, that's the genesis of the word side. And, um, you know, we were killing everything. And, and the key to a really productive, and I say productive from an economic um, uh, point of view, a productive and healthy ecology is biodiversity. So diversity of, of species. Um, what we focus on is a diversity of species of pasture. So, you know, you can't have that productivity, you can't have that health of pasture and soil and ultimately animals 
if you're constantly trying to remove by killing, you know, species, pasture species out of your pasture, and it's like, you know, um, it's they they need animals are really smart. They know what they need at different times of the month, different times of their cycle, different times of the season, and the more opportunity they have to to utilise, access and utilise different pastures, and different pasture species have different nutrient values, mm-hmm. then they still, okay. So we're allowing them to, again, we let the grass express itself, we let the animals express their innate knowing mm-hmm. about what nutrition they need. So we give them as a smorgasbord as much as we can. Okay, so just on that note of, like, could you give us maybe a... a, a a bit of a summary as to like imagine if every farm did this in Australia what difference would it make to the environment overall like would it make a really significant difference if everybody adopted these kinds of farming practices well it would make a massive difference um I guess the uh where what we our farming is based on grazing so we don't crop we do some pasture cropping, which is another story, and it's it's a very basic type of cropping, but we don't do much of it. It's more experimental at this stage. So we're grazing. So in, in a cropping system, it's 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 a, it's a lot different because we're actually using animals and managing those animals in grazing the pasture to, to achieve environmental outcomes. Okay. So um, if your question was if we if this system was put in every grazing farm. Base farm in Australia. Yeah. Um, 100%. There's the benefits. I mean, one of the, one of the wonderful benefits is is is, is simplification, um, and and relationship and, and working with nature. And again, when I was conventional farmers, and I have to say, this is probably the, the story for a lot of conventional farmers, they don't have a relationship with nature, and that's it's a really soothing thing. I mean, this is our work. Which is our place of work. It's our place of life and our lifestyle of living. And when you are at at war, essentially, with your environment, which is essentially what conventional farming is, um, that's not a, that's not a very, very nice place to be. And it's not a, it's not a, and it's not a nice place. I mean, one of the reasons I, I did this was I didn't want chemicals being sprayed all over my country and living in that environment with, with small yeah. children and a family. Okay. So, so yeah, yes, I hope that answers your question massive um, uh, benefits to and inputs the other significant thing is in a conventional system when you're using chemical um, for, for instance or you know whether that be chemical sprays to control weeds or you're putting fertilizer chemical fertilizer on, on your soil the, the inputs are massive you know hundreds of thousands of dollars of inputs and you're relying on someone else to see that product and you're buying bags of fertilizer and chemical from the guy in town now that's a chem- I call it a chemical cycle because once you start relying on yeah. the inputs that you you have to buy, you lose control of your your system. You know, you're relying on them to provide it, and then the system that you the ecology, whilst you're killing parts of your ecology, your you, you your ecology has to rely on the chemicals you're putting on to maintain itself. So if you do a, a chemical spray to kill a particular bug, you're going to kill a whole lot of good bugs as well. So you take the good mm. bugs out out of the system, those bugs are not there to do their natural job of, of, of attacking the bad bugs. Yeah. So you disrupt... Sounds like... An- disrupt- sounds like yeah. overusing antibiotics in human human guts, to be honest. Yeah, but anyway... It's exactly it's a, like that. 
Um, so basically to summarize, your method of farming means that, you know, it's easy to control dam um, levels, the grass and the, well, the surrounding natural environment will be a lot healthier. There's hardly any chemicals or fertilizers in use, which not only affects your land, but all the runoff um, and therefore the surrounding areas as well. And obviously you're getting, you know, healthier animals and, and healthier farmers because there's a, a moral purpose to their work and a psychology behind it, which is awesome. Jess, did you want to jump in and maybe, you know, you probably got itching yeah. for some questions yourself. Yeah. Oh, I'm loving the stuff that you're telling us, Charlie. But I want to focus on, you've spoken a lot about the benefits to the environment and kind of, um, the connection between or having that relationship with nature but on a food sense and nutrition level what difference have you seen in your products or produce um, since changing your methods to this more biodynamic way well I'll start by saying that the, the first change happened in me um, so when we were conventional farming we were we were producing commodities okay it was meat it was, it was kilograms of protein a hectare. It was kilograms of wool. Um, so we were we were producing a commodity, and that was as far as my responsibility responsibility went. So we would sell that product into the sale yards at Wagga or Dubbo or wherever wherever we could. Um, but when I left the farm gate, my responsibility that was that was that was it. And you know when I did grazing for profit, and I, I started looking seriously at biodynamics as well. You know, it occurred to me that I had a massive responsibility um, with what I was doing because I was producing food. You know, I, I was selling food to people, well, not directly to those people, not at that stage, but that food would end up in someone's, you know, someone's child's plate. And and here I was spraying chemical all over it, um, you know, when, when I was responsible for it. So my, my first thing to change was attitude. I didn't, I was no longer producing a commodity. I was, I was growing food, um, and as soon as I took on that responsibility, changed everything, chemical left. My, my you know, again, the relationship with nature, because nature is, is, is our, is, is, you know, provides the bounty, the abundance of all those wonderful things of nutrition, and um, to work with it was my first job. As far as the quality goes, I mean, the, another quality which is hard to sort of um, quantify is the behaviour of cattle and sheep. You know, when you're working with them and you, we use a technique of stock movement and management called low-stress stock handling, and it's essentially using the natural habits and behaviours of, of livestock um, in a positive way to get them to do what you want them to do, to move through a paddock, through some yards, onto a truck. And what you're doing is you're conditioning those animals to handle a bit of stress. Now, I'm not, not, I'm not talking stress with a whip and a yahoo and a carry-on. I'm talking about putting pressure on an animal to get them to go where do you want them to go and then taking pressure off. So their behaviour, their, I mean, I, I call it happiness. Um, at the end of the day, we want to be happy, they want to remain happy. So we, we provide conditions and um, we manage them in a way which keeps them happy. That's that's my, my view. And, you know, happy cattle, happy sheep produce a, are a better product yeah. at the end of the day. Less stress hormones we know what that does to us yeah absolutely meat quality it it, it reduces meat quality so when they don't have much of that in their life and when they do have a bit of stress they 
they can manage it and they're conditioned to that, they don't have that massive surge of stress hormones, which again has that um, impact on lean quality. So, you know, just because of simply just the way we handle our cattle when they're alive has a massive impact on the quality of the meat when when they're not alive. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, so that's the, that's that's a massive quality thing. Um, I guess just to sort of pump up my own tyres for a second. The late, uh, early, early last week, we won a delicious food award in the New South Wales um, category for from the paddock um, for our lamb. And um, we got out of lamb production for some years, and we, we got back in sort of three years ago. Um, and when we got back in, it was you know, running those sheep in, in our new system um, because when we had sheep previously, it was in a, in a conventional sense. So I think that's, you know, that to me, you know, indicates, I think, a, you know, a, 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 an improvement in quality, you know, that, that's really, 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 um, uh, really grateful for that award. Okay. Um, and telling, you know, the feedback we get from, from, from our customers for our lamb and our, um, and our meat is, again, uh, anecdotal, but, you know, tasting meat, what else is it? Um, we're thrilled. Absolutely thrilled. There was just one quick one. There was a, a chef from Sydney who moved out to Yagara, um, uh, and he grows uh, quail, um, uh, pasture-raised quail, which is unusual in itself, um, doing a wonderful job. And he said he's, he's cooked thousands of kilos of lamb, and he had one of ours the other day. He said he is the best lamb he's ever had. Yeah. So, you know, there's not much science behind it, but there's a, you know, we're pretty happy with the feedback. Yeah, no, um, I absolutely love, Charlie, that, um, you know, you started to answer that question with that it first changed in your own attitude, as in your responsibility was producing quality food that's going to be on someone's child's plate and then eventually, you know, affect their health and well-being, because essentially that's what food is, you know, it's um, it's preventative medicine, essentially, um, but I think for our listeners I think it's really important because obviously we live in a bit of a a fast-paced world everything's convenience and things like that and you know you go to the shops and you want to try and make the right choices um what are all these terms what do all these terms mean such as like um well we have a good understanding of biodynamics now but like say pasture raised grass fed grass finished free range like what what exactly should we be looking for? Can we go through them sort of one at a time and can you just outline yeah, yeah. the difference between them and what is certified, what isn't certified and what we should be looking for? Sure, yeah, as best as I can. We do uh, sheep and cattle. We don't do um, uh, commercial eggs, um, but I've got a fairly good idea about that as well. Yeah, cool. They're yeah. definitely the main ones, I think, like meat and eggs, I think, you know, consumers are interested in knowing what they're buying and understanding some of these terms so far away like yeah, yeah. what does free range well, meat mean well free range again it's a pretty loose term in terms of meat as opposed to eggs um it's an animal that is allowed to range in a paddock that's the way i look at it um in the egg world um there's plenty of chickens who are uh, uh, labeled free range and they can range out of a shed for small for, for short periods of time in the day, but it's far from being a natural situation. Okay. Um, our, but our sheep free range their whole life. We don't shed them at all. So um, you know, it's not to say that that, that expression is is um, uh, not 
you know, worthy of putting on a label. Uh, I would be looking for, 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 for labels or um, descriptions more like pasture raised or grass fed in terms of uh, lamb and sheep. Uh, sorry, lamb, sheep, and um, and cattle. Um, now this means that if that's all there is and it doesn't say grain finished, you don't want to eat things that have grain. I don't think you should be eating meat with that's been finished on grain. Um, birds eat grain, cattle don't eat grain at the end of the day. So yeah. uh, look for meat, ask for meat that has been um, uh, finished, like lived on and then finished on grass. Okay. You don't want on grain. Can I just also say, um, and this goes to these questions, you know, these descriptions, is the power of questions, you know, yeah. um, getting back to consumers, and I don't, don't like calling consumers, you know, customers, people, they're people. So um, to, to our clients, um, we say ask questions of your butcher, of your greengrocer, anyone, because that's the, you know, whoever has asked the most questions in a conversation has the power. And it's not about having a power, it's actually being informed and having informed decisions. And if you're going to put that food again on your children's plate, you want to make sure, if you're a responsible parent, um, that it's the best quality you can. And getting back to those descriptions, grass-fed, it's the way, it, it, it's, the only, it's the most healthy meat, whether it's lamb or, or beef, that you can feed your children. Um, chickens are the same, you know, they do eat grain, they're a bird, but they do need a portion of their feed to be green pick. And they pick worms and they pick dung beetles out of manure. And this is when, when, when chickens are pastured, for meat bird pastured, they're in grass and they, they're getting, again, back to diversity, they're getting a, a much broader um, uh, diet at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, so look, there's some basic, um, uh, some basic terminology. Again, I just, I just, you know, suggest your 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 listeners ask plenty of questions. And there's no wrong, you know, wrong question. There's no silly question. Okay. You know, put your put your butcher on notice and say, look, you know, I want to know where my meat's from. I have this wonderful vision. I think it's a wonderful vision where butcher shops should be like bottle shops. You know, people go to a bottle shop and they say, look, you know, I want a, I want a 2015, you know, Crinklewood. Uh, from the Hunter Valley, um, as or something, you know, to go to a butcher shop and actually be able to pick and choose your, your meat and have that butcher be accountable to where it's come from and how it's produced. Yeah. That'd be wonderful. Yes, that would definitely be wonderful. Um, because often that's where the issue's coming up is that there's no accountability from that conventional method. Is Do you think so? There's very little re- re- accountability because, again, like, you know, when conventional farmers, and I was one, um, uh, their responsibility stops at the farm gate. And there is yeah. traceability of sorts, but when we, we stand behind our products and people can come and visit and see what we're doing here, uh, we've got no problem with that. So it's about transparency. It's about accountability. You know, it's about authenticity of, of producing, again, food that is going to end up in... You know, is that, that, that food is going to become part of someone one day. And yeah, yeah. That's a that's that's a really that's a, that's a huge responsibility. It's a great honour, really. So going yeah. back to some of those terms, what's what what makes something organic? Like you know, is that well, essentially a, the gold of the gold? Should be should people be looking for organic or? I would I would suggest people look for biodynamic food. So so the difference between organic and biodynamic, and, and, and there's two. There's certification, right, of, of product, and that's like a labelling on a, on a, on a on some food. We're not certified, by the way. We're not 
certified for organic or biodynamic because my view of certification is that it doesn't certify quality. It, certify, it, it certifies that this producer has followed some criteria and tick boxes about um, what they have and haven't done. Um, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. I'm just saying that that doesn't... You know, I'm about quality. And so we, we say we're, we're certified by community because it's our customers who get back to us and say that was gold, you know, that was beautiful and, you know, and they come and they keep coming back. So that's that's good enough for me. Um, that's not to say I wouldn't consider certification one day. So back to your question, in terms of certification, that relates to the practices and the practices for organics, the biggest one is removal of, of chemicals, chemical fertiliser and sprays. Um, and, and one would also hope that organic farmers are not just removing something, but they're putting something in. They're using manures, they're using compost, they're using um, other soil emollients like you know, basalt dust or, 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 or you know, um, guano or you know, something natural to help boost the fertility of the soil. With biodynamics, which I, I say is enhanced organics, um, we're using products, you know, manures and, and, and herbs, essentially, that we have grown or others have grown um, to produce a product on our farm that we then return back onto the farm and as, as a compost or as a biodynamic spray. And okay. the science behind that, um, which is very straightforward, it's soil chemistry, it's, it's fungus, it's bacteria, it's soil vitality, it's organic matter, it's all that you know, science-based stuff. The other part of biodynamics is you know, the, the, the cosmic side of it, which is the stuff that I love as well because, and I don't fully understand it, but it, it, it adds a, a layer of colour and relationship to what we're doing here because there's ritual. There's an understanding of the connection between humans, animals, plants uh, in, in the environment where we, we, we are responsible for. And we're using product. I'm not going to the town to buy a bag of fertiliser. I'm collecting cow manure in the paddock, putting it into a cow horn over the winter and then pulling out this wonderful stuff called Bidenic 500, Paul Manure 500, which we then mix, we stir, and then we put back on the pasture. And that sounds pretty crazy. But, you know, there's that beautiful ritual. There's the connection between the cow and the cow horn, the manure, and then there's the spring, and there's that connection with with with, um, with our countryside. Again, we're not buying products and clocking up huge expenses. You know, it's not high-input stuff. This is really low-input farming. And it's low impact farming as well, um, but the results are wonderful. You know, it's hard to quantify. We haven't done sort of scientific, you know, control versus treatment um, uh, studies here. But you know, looking at the animal behaviour, looking at the meat quality, looking at the the, the improvement in the, the quality of the pasture and the biodiversity. You know, we're walking hand in hand with nature here now, and it's just wonderful. So in terms of biodynamic farming and labeling something as biodynamic, is that a protected term or like, I guess what I'm asking is, are there farms out there who are cottoning on to consumers, sorry, cottoning on to the fact that consumers are getting a little bit more savvy and, and wanting to know that their meat is ethically sourced is, can biodynamic just be slapped on a label? Like I'm just, I know it's not nice to think about, but I'm just wondering. Or is it not really um, done? Look, I, look the, the, when biodynamic is on a label um, and it's been certified by, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a couple of different biodynamic um, certifications. Oh, cool. Um, so there's certification. Well, That's awesome. There, there is. 
producer, that farmer, has passed the, the, the inspection, the audit that that is required of them. Um, and, you know, I would suggest that the, that the product that they've produced is much better than something that doesn't have a biodynamic label. Okay. Um, I, 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 I use the word biodynamic because, um, and I, I might be getting in trouble for using it, but actually I don't really care because what we're doing is we're producing our philosophy is... Of, you know, is, is one that, that uses biodynamics. We practice biodynamics. We make our own preparations, and we teach other farmers biodynamics. So, you know, it's going to. I, I, I'm, I'm ready for anyone who, who who might say, you know, you can't use that term. It's like, well, try and stop me because it's what we're doing. You know, I, I understand. I only found this out a few months ago that Demeter in the states has um, uh, copyrighted the name biodynamics, and you can't use it over there. And it might be the same. Um, if you um, you can't use it um, unless you're, you're certified by Demeter. And to me, that goes 100% against the Steiner and the biodynamic philosophy of inclusivity, of, of, um, of, you know, of the synergy and the, and the relationship that a farmer has with his food and his, and his customer. If it's got to be stamped, just to use the word biodynamic. And I look, to be honest, I know of, you know, um, some biodynamic farms that are certified, and I don't know, I, I'd have to question how much biodynamic practice they're actually doing. I'm sure they're doing some. Um, and I'm not here to criticise anyone, but, you know, the certification thing does not necessarily guarantee this is the Supremo product that that, 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 um, that you could be putting in your you know, on, on your plate. And, so... and look, that might be commercial with that. I've got a really strong view about that because, you know, we're, we're walking the... We're, we're walking the talk here, and I'm not saying others aren't, but I'm more concerned with getting doing the practice and producing that beautiful food and letting the consumer make up their mind. And what you said before, coming back to having a relationship with your butcher and just asking the right questions. Yeah. Yes, yeah, 100%. Just ask those questions. Ask where the meat's from, who was the producer, who was the farmer, and if they even know the farmer is, like, ask them, you know, was it ethically produced and do they know them? I mean, butchers have a huge responsibility as well, um, as it does any retailer, as to what, what they're actually selling. So ask those questions. And it goes the same with fruit and veg. Um, yeah. You know, up the biodynamic, um, I always do. Um, one of the, I, I love going into a restaurant and asking the, the waiter, you know, there's, there's a steak on the menu and I say, is it grain or grass-fed? And they, use, they, they, they generally think you want, you want to hear it's grain-fed. Yeah. Say, well, it's actually grain-fed, sir. And I said, well, that's a pity I'll have the chicken. Because I, I want to eat grain-fed meat. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, so the power is in asking questions. So, so yeah. And, I mean, for our listeners, obviously, like, grass-fed is um, producing a healthier type of meat. It's higher in omega-3. It's lower in omega-6s. It means that the cattle have yeah. been grazed on grass as opposed to, like, feedlot fed so that's why you know we're all for grass-fed meat not only from a nutritional perspective but also from an ethical perspective as well yeah yeah no 100 you're spot on yeah before we wrap up charlie we've just got another cut like one or two minutes can you just tell um our listeners perhaps where they can buy your meat um Um, one of our great supporting butchers in 
Sydney uh, is Victor Churchill's, and some say it's the, the it's the smartest butcher shop in the world. It's fantastic, girls. If you haven't been there, it's in in Sydney. It'll blow your mind. Um, so we're really proud suppliers to them. Um, uh, we hope to have some of our lamb in their butcher shop um, in the next few weeks, but we'll, we'll, we'll work on that. Um, where we are getting in touch with um, butchers, whole body butchers, I guess, is a term that's sort of springing up where they're happy to get whole carcasses and break them down. And those guys are the ones that have a relationship with butchers, uh, with, their, with their farmers. Um, so get online, or yep. on Instagram as well, or on Facebook. Uh, we're not just about selling products, we're about service to inform people about nutrition, about farming, about reconnecting with farmers and their food. And we also teach. On the 18th of May, we've got a one-day biodynamic course here at Hanamina, Burrawa, in New South Wales. And on the Saturday, on the 19th, we have a projective geometry course, which is a one-day, which, which, which is about... I haven't done it yet, so I'm going to be fascinated. The, it's about the, you know, the patterns in nature. Awesome. Uh, yeah, so we're, we're really stoked to, um, to be hosting those two. Um, we, we, we usually do a biodynamic course every six months. Um, yeah. And love it. Cool. Well, Jess and I are right. probably going to head down to your farm yeah. soon. So. Yes, very excited about that. Um, but Charlie, we'll link all those in our show notes as well for our listeners. If you want to head over to those links, you can find Charlie further there. But um, I think, have you got anything else to say, Charlie, that you'd like to? One more thing, and thank you for the opportunity. I won't be. I won't take too much time. Um, can I ask you girls a question? Yep. Yeah. Okay, so uh, do you have doctors? Do you have doctors that you uh, every now and again? Not really. Actually, we stay pretty healthy, so. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I go for. I mean, look, like I'm all for going to the GP for um routine checks, but I can't yeah. remember the last time I was sick, really, and uh, yeah. yeah. So, but I understand where you're going. Yeah. <laughs>
Awesome. Great message and very much in line with our values here at the Nourish Wrap. Wonderful. Look, you know, I really appreciate the opportunity. Um, you girls are doing some wonderful things. I'd love to do, you know, catch up again, meet you in person. I'd love to get you at the farm and, um, and show you around. So if we can do that, that'd be wonderful. Yep, we'll be down there probably yeah. next week. <laughs> no, I'm yeah. kidding. I've got to get married next week, so... Yeah, got a, got a few other things to wrap up first. Yes, I believe. Congratulations. Jess? Yep. Okay. Oh, yes. Sorry, sorry. Um, I guess, well, on that note, we just want to thank you very much, Charlie, for um, being on the podcast today. Your interview was extremely insightful, and I believe our listeners are going to get a lot out of it. Um, we just want to wrap up with our five core values, um, which is eat whole foods most of the time and fresh water, move your body in an enjoyable way um, every day, prioritize your sleep, switch off every single day, even if it's for just five minutes, and listen to your own body. So thanks so much for having uh, us, guys. We'll thanks, see you next